0: Welcome to the Faith Element podcast for the May 21st, 2023 session, focusing on Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Time to do something. I'm David Cassidy.
1: I'm Crystal Shepard.
0: I'm David Adams.
2: And I'm Daniel Glaze.
0: Believe it or not, this is episode 406 of the podcast. We've been doing this a while. It always amazes me because it seems it just seems like some friends gathering every other week to have a conversation. Sometimes we forget to mention that this podcast is sponsored by Faith Lab. It's a group of people who care about how churches communicate and work to help congregations communicate among themselves, and to introduce themselves and connect with their communities. Faith Lab does a lot of website development. We do a lot of branding and logo design. We help groups put together print materials, even books, church histories, you name it. Faith Lab is available to help your congregation to shape and prepare communications for a very rapidly changing and noisy world. It's so important these days for our congregations to be clear about our messaging, about what makes our congregation unique, Your website is often the first place people go to find out about you, to see what you're doing, to find out if this is a place they might belong and connect and share your values. Let Faith Lab help you in your branding, in your communications work, and developing a new website. Um, They're ready to help, and it's a great time during the summer to get things ready for the launch of new ministries and energy in the fall. So give Faith Lab a call. You can learn more at faithlab.com. That's faithlab.com. Well, we continue in the book of Acts? And Daniel, would you help get us started today?
2: I'll be glad to. But before I do, I just have to say, I have to jump on what you just said. I personally, and our church has used Faith Lab, and I can certainly give them a great recommendation. But here's the thing. This is no disrespect to to the leaders at Faith Lab, you can find a hundred people to make you a website. You can find a thousand people to publish your book, your church history, or help you with a marketing campaign. Faith Lab leaders are ministers. They get churches and that is no small thing. So when you call, when you email, you're reaching out to a fellow minister. I think y'all used to call ourselves ministers just geekier or something like that, which I always thought <laughs> yes. was great. Ministers but who
0: speak geek.
2: <laughs> That's it. That's it. Anyway, we love our relationship with Faith Lab. So Thank you, Dan. We've been Absolutely. So we've been taking a journey of sorts through the Book of Acts this Easter season. Next week, we will move on. But before doing so, the lectionary, the three-year system of Bible reading that guides the Faith Element curriculum, the lectionary asks us to return to the beginning, to the first chapter of Acts. We do so, I believe, to be reminded how the church began. So this Sunday, May 21st, is Ascension Sunday. This is the day we remember Jesus' ascension back into heaven after his earthly ministry was complete. I'm reminded that When my younger daughter, Ashley, now in high school, was young, she developed two things at the same time, a fear of the dark and an active imagination. Not a great combo. She would imagine all sorts of scary things that could happen once the lights went out. So in her mind, the only way to guard against such things was to stay awake and keep lookout. Eventually, my wife and I would have to come and sit with her on the edge of the bed until she fell asleep. I can remember on more than one occasion, Ashley just begins to drift off and then is jolted awake again, calling, are you still there? Yes, honey, I'm still here. You have got to go to sleep. Letting go and saying goodbye is hard. Whether it's giving up a stuffed animal, moving beyond a childhood fear, A friend moving away, saying goodbye is hard. I can't tell you how many times I've stood behind the pulpit for a memorial service or beside a freshly dug grave, and I've thought to myself, I don't want to be here. Now, I love being a pastor, and I'm grateful that my church has invited me to walk alongside them at such difficult times when our loved ones move through that sacred transition from this life to the next. Even though I'm honored to be present for that, the truth is, I'm not ready to say goodbye. This time last year, my wife and I were preparing to say goodbye to my older daughter, Ella, as she was headed to Wake Forest University after graduating high school. Now, she had a great year at school, but I remember saying goodbye was rough. Over the past three years, due to the coronavirus pandemic, we have had to say goodbye many times to vacations, weddings, evenings out, in-person worship, some careers. And most tragically, perhaps, we had to say goodbye to family and friends behind masks and with six feet of distance, unable to share hugs, handshakes, casseroles, all those healing rituals that we offer to one another. It makes sense that saying goodbye would get easier over time, but I haven't found that to be the case. Saying goodbye reminds us just how fragile life can be, and sometimes it causes us to wonder whether we are alone in this world. Everything was about to change for the disciples. They were about to say goodbye in a big way. They had given up their careers and their families to follow Jesus, and they literally followed him tagging along as he preached and taught, as he fed 5,000 people with a young boy's sack lunch, as he opened the eyes of the blind and turned the leper's skin clean. They had come to rely on him for everything. And then one day he just left. As the Bible puts it, Jesus ascended into heaven. In Luke's gospel, Jesus lifted his hands to bless the disciples, and as he was blessing them, he was carried up into heaven, then he was gone. I love how Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, Jesus disappeared, vanishing into the fog, like the end of a dream too good to be true. In today's passage, Luke continues his narrative, elaborating on the disciples' reaction. I'm starting with verse 9 here. When Jesus had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two people in white robes stood by them. They said, You Galileans, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? In other words, we need to quit standing there, hands in our pockets, looking up. Instead, I believe Jesus wants us to start looking around. Though he has been ascended, Christ has not truly left us, and we are not powerless. Rather than looking up, we need to look around and get on with it. In other words, it's time to do something. And that was just as, and that is just as true today as it was in the first century. Friends, it's time for the church to do something about children living in poverty. To do something about the abuse that takes place often inside our walls. To do something about the patriarchal attitudes and structures that demean women and their gifts. To do something about the racism and white Christian nationalism that is destroying our hearts and our churches and our nation. It's time to do something about the gun violence that has touched every one of us. Friends, we honor Jesus Christ not by looking up and memorializing his ascension, but by looking around and deciding it's time to do something. And that's some background on our text for today. Thank you for that background, Daniel.
3: I'm going to confess to something that we say behind a certain other person's back from time to time, because it's... We have, they have this person who some of us know who's easily distracted by new things when they happen, like maybe something new in technology, maybe something new in theology, whatever. And we always refer to what we're doing with them, time to time, as saying, We're jingling the keys. They'll we'll just jingle the keys and he'll be looking at that. And then he'll take his mind off other things, we'll keep him preoccupied. They even gone so far as when he's talking to take jingle keys next to his head just to see what people around the room say, because we all know this. <laughs> Mm -hmm. We like to see people jingle the keys. But the jingling the keys concept really comes out here. I think I hear you saying that almost. We have let our faith in Jesus, our following of Christ, all the things he's meant to us, become like a set of keys that someone's jingling. Look at that. Look at this thing he's going to take up in heaven. Look at what's happening with him. Don't look around you. Don't pay attention to what we need to be working on. Look at us as we jingle these keys. And quite often, Christians will substitute the story of the gospel and what they want to say about Jesus and make that what they want to draw our attention to but not what Jesus wants us to do
2: yeah that's th- I think you're exactly right because I've often said if all we're doing is standing up and looking toward heaven or perhaps we might put it another way if if the entirety of our faith consists of what we do from 11 to noon on Sunday mornings then we've left a lot of Christ's teaching just not even off the table, but hadn't even gotten off the ground. I love the way you put it there. We've been fascinated by whatever the latest, greatest replacement for just looking up is.
1: Mm-hmm. It reminds me of be doers of the word, not just hearers. So the church that my husband and I were married in in Louisville, when you walk out the back door of the sanctuary that is emblazoned in in stone above the door. And it's, it's that constant reminder of don't just give lip service to it. And I think that's been... You guys know on here, I get pretty critical of the church. I guess I could, I always tell my husband that I guess I earned the right by going to seminary and studying the church and serving in a church. So I'm going to be critical. But that's my biggest beef is that, and I do it in my own life too. So I I don't want to say that I just cast it all on everybody else and I don't look at the plank that's in my own eye. But We just sit and have all this lip service, thoughts and prayers, and then we don't actually protest or get out there and offer a cup of cold water to someone who is dying of thirst. There are literally people dying of thirst in the United States. What are we as the church doing about people, like you said, being murdered? Like kids, gun violence, so many ways in which we could offer a gospel that we, you know, we, when I grew up, it was be the hands and the feet of the gospel. Okay. What does that look like? I don't think it looks like just yelling at the top of our lungs to try to get someone to listen. Maybe that's the latest, like what it means to be looking up. It's just the lip service.
3: I like to, one of my favorite sermon moods, it's a move I like to do in a sermon. I will talk about the gospel story and Jesus and all the glory of all that thing and all that we're called to be and do. And I'll wave my hands around and I'll point at the sky and talk about those kinds of things while I'm stalking around back in front of the congregation. Our room is very small. And as I'm doing this, I deliberately go face first into a wall. I'm talking about that. And I point out, this is what we're doing. We're looking at this and there's this wall in front of us. There's this place we need to go and the stuff we've got to do. And we're just not doing it and it I mean, we might feel good about ourselves but we're just not doing the thing that we're the one thing we're supposed to be here doing
1: but i wonder daniel talked about that the disciples were getting ready to have their life completely changed and i wonder if for the church if it's about fear in some ways like this is something that is what if we aren't following what god wants us to do or what if we get out there and we do this and it's we don't say the right thing or we don't do the right thing? Or I know in my own life I f- have felt that it, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I wonder if that's in this culture that we find ourselves in where we have to be so careful about what we say, if maybe there is some fear for churches about not knowing how to bridge that divide. If that makes sense?
3: Oh yeah, two weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, we had a podcast. We were talking about a movie. Burt Montgomery was talking about Life of Brian, and one of the scenes he didn't talk about was one where Brian opens his door, his shutters one morning, and there are thousands of people standing in the courtyard outside of his house, screaming at him as if he's a Messiah, and he's trying to tell them, "Think for yourselves. Do the things you're supposed to do." be yourself. You're all unique. You're all different. Of course, one person raises a hand and says, I'm not. But the whole crowd is being told, go out and do this for yourself. Be doing what you're supposed to do. And yet they wouldn't hear that message. They still want to stay there. They still want to be looking up. They still want to be screaming the things and being part of the accepted crowd that's doing what the central figure is telling them to do and not be people of action, people who are living their
2: lives. So, uh, yeah, I Crystal, what you're saying is really meaningful to me. I think the—I heard you right—the the response of the disciples here is one of fear. And mm-hmm. and in that, it's understandable, and we do the same. For them, life had just changed dramatically. Jesus, this one whom they relied on for everything, had just left. Life changed dramatically. And, and for those in the church in 2023— life has changed for us in some dramatic ways. And it, it's not that looking up is wrong, but if that's all we're doing, then we're missing things like like running into walls, like you, you were <laughs> talking about, David. If, to k- keep with this looking up metaphor, if we're only looking up, we're not looking around to the assets that we do have, to the to the wonderful resources that we do have. We're not looking... And we're not looking forward to a great day that God is yet creating. Yes, while I don't want to beat them up for doing this, because I do the exact same thing. In fear, we just we almost are paralyzed. But we need that encouragement like these two persons in the white robes say, hey, it's time to quit looking up and it's time to do something. And I think we let me speak personally, I, as a local church pastor, need that encouragement at this time when everything's changing.
3: I think you brought up an issue, not directly, but it's in there with what you're saying, because we are at a different time. So much has changed. The church that we knew even three years ago is not the church we know now. Right. And we've reached a time where congregations who are going to do what they got to do, and they're going to really be following through, have got to start asking themselves, what do we do now? We're afraid to ask that question. What do we do now? We're too busy sucking our thumbs and complaining about the loss of something that we used to have. We're not doing a good job yet of saying what's got to happen now. What does Jesus want us to do now? Who's not yeah. doing it?
2: Yeah, a congregation I used to be associated with would often joke: "If 1965 returns, we are ready." <laughs> and that—that's not a—that's not a strategy. Not even a positive posture. But yes, we, we, it's almost like we're just waiting for the heyday to return so that we can, we know which doors to unlock to just let them in rather than what new doors do we need to create? Oh, yeah, I hear you.
1: And I think the church has lost some credibility because of some of the major issues that have happened with Christian nationalism. And I think if we can really address what is in front of us, what we see, the issues that we see at hand. I think that's how the church, I would hear all the time when I was involved with church ministry, how do we, how are we relevant? How do we, how do we reach people? You meet their needs. You help take care of them. You befriend them. It's not just about saying, here's the four spiritual laws, read it and believe there's more to it than that because they have to live their day-to-day lives. And for some people, that's a real struggle. So I think we need to if we're looking at what's in front of us it's maybe that the church needs to maybe need to like look at how it's perceived and they shall know we are Christians by our love. We could take that to heart.
0: Yeah, I I can't help but think about the different ways that those watching Jesus ascend could have responded. So they could have said what an experience. Let's all take out our journals and journal this experience. Not a bad thing. Journaling's good. Another thing they could have done is they could have said, okay, we're going to gather in two hours and sit and together try to develop a theological framework for understanding what we've just experienced and seen. Not that theologizing or talking about that is a bad thing. You see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. There are lots of ways they could have Analyzed and connected with this? What are the doctrines we've just learned from Jesus' ascension? And we could do that, but it feels like what is the better response at this point is what have you just experienced? And how does that lead you to now act and choose to live? And that is a different kind of response. And so I guess I wonder somehow how many times do I engage just because of the way I was raised, right? that I'm taught to think about my beliefs. Am I believing the right thing? Am I thinking about this in the correct way theologically? And it may be that it's more important in terms of what does it lead me to do and how does it lead me to live? I remember my theology professor in seminary was Frank Tupper. And Frank, I remember one day, came in, and he—this was a big room, lots of students in it— And he goes up to the podium and takes out the newspaper and opens it up in front of us. We can't even see him anymore. And he sits there and, I don't know, for five or ten minutes just reads the newspaper. And he reads articles to us. He reads headlines. And he puts it down and he says, when you're wondering how to live out your faith, this is where you begin. Because right here you can see the needs of the world. Right here, you can see and hear people suffering. Right here, you can see people fighting and being divided. These are the places theology calls us to live and to act into. And it's an image that I have not forgotten. It is hard to do, <laughs> but I think it is It is. It also encouraging to think that as we as churches try to figure out what's next and how do we reinvent ourselves. And in many ways, what we're called to do is maybe not get everything figured out and get our doctrine straight, but instead we're just called to live and to love and to serve. And those other things will find their way into our minds and our hearts because of how we live and love and serve. Maybe we start with our actions, and the beliefs emerge from those. As God and the Spirit, which is so active in acts, (laughs) the Spirit works in us to teach us and guide us. I hope all of you will find ways to act, to take action, and see how we feel the Spirit moving and leading and teaching us in the days ahead. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study Curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.